0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Procure Pulse. I'm your host, Mickey Meehan. Today, I'm joined by Kim Crowder, the founder and CEO of Kim Crowder Consulting. Kim is an expert at communicating and connecting in powerful and engaging ways. Her deep knowledge of diversity, equity, inclusion, and anti-racism is informed by years of executive level DEIA practice and consulting in advocacy and implementation. Kim's compelling content, presentations, and consulting approach are powered by more than 16 years of work in marketing, journalism, communications, and DEIA for Fortune 500 and other large corporations. Kim's mission is to provide transformative, customized solutions, cultivate equitable workplaces, and harness the power of diverse input to foster innovation, inclusion, and forward thinking within organizations and industries overall. She's been featured for her expertise by the New York Times, twice by Forbes and on HubSpot's podcast The Growth Show. She's also a member of the MIT Technology Review Global Panel. Kim, thanks for being here today. We appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thank you. I'm excited to talk to you.
0: Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting. Obviously, you know, diversity, equity, justice, those are words we see peppered all over the news today, and corporations are taking you know, obviously more of an active role um, and and trying to put a focus on diversity and inclusion. You know, you've been doing this now for a long time though. I think you started your business over four years ago. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey to starting your company and, and perhaps why you do what you do?
1: Yeah, I, I, that's such an interesting question. One of the things that I always say is that um, this kind of work didn't, I didn't choose this kind of work. It chose me. Uh, And what I mean by that is, is I was always thinking about this work, but I didn't always have the language for it. And especially when you talk about, you know, over the last five years, we've really started to make this more of a corporate America speak in the way that we talk about, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, and anti-racism you know, social justice in the workplace, belonging, we have all of these words um, that are put in place. But my experience comes from the actual experiencing and witnessing it, and then putting into action, the tools that are needed in order to dismantle these things in the workplace. And so I really like to talk about it at that level, because I think we can get so caught up in the jargon, that we miss the roots and the foundation of what this work actually is. And so I was always doing this work, always pushing the boundaries, asking the questions, trying to figure out, you know, why are we doing it this way, really questioning it. And my background, as you mentioned, is in marketing and communication. So always thinking about that output and that messaging, but also moving up through the corporate ladder and becoming an executive, particularly an executive that can make decisions around hiring, around retention, um, who, who could start looking at policy even HR policy, even though I wasn't necessarily, you know, that person, I wasn't in HR, but I was certainly, we were talking about it at the table. And then I started receiving pushback when I would bring that up. And so starting to experiencing, to experience the other side of, This is what happens when you become that voice in the workplace, particularly as a Black woman. For those of you who cannot see me, I am a Black woman. (laughs) So, you know, as a Black woman, speaking up on those things and not just speaking up on things that were particular issues to my community, but talking about things in the LGBTQI plus community, talking about uh, how this looks when we talk about, you know, disabled folks, and then also, you know, albism and really thinking about, how is how does all of this play a role? And recognizing that depending on what the conversation was in the workplace and what the workplace had made socially acceptable, what groups got to raise their hand and say, hey, I'm having these issues versus other groups. So really thinking through all of the nuance of, nuances of this, it kind of came to me. I started speaking out in public, uh, doing some, some Conferences and speaking, and then before I knew it, people were saying, how can we get you to do this work in our workplace? And then it just seemed like the right time and transition to say, i built enough of this expertise. I've built enough experience. I've built enough relationships to move out and really do this the way that I want to do it without the confines of corporate America and the ways that people felt, you know, want to kind of contain this to really work with organizations who are ready to do the work.
0: That's awesome. That's cool. So cool to be doing something you're so passionate about and and kind of came into so organically um, and, and got to see all those different facets. That's uh, that's really awesome.
1: Yeah, thank you. And, and one of the things that I make sure that I'm always doing is always learning currently in the process of getting certified, you know, always reading books, always talking to other folks, doing what I can to make sure I'm growing and shifting and learning because the goal is to always serve my clients in the best way possible so I'm finding the the best team members to, of folks to be on my team um, because I know that I I'm a great woman but I'm not every woman and I'm not <laughs> enough to, you know I it takes a village it really does to to really do this in in the way that is going to be successful for sure and
0: a little earlier you mentioned jargon and there's there's some words that were on your website that I thought were really interesting and it's it's not really jargon but I think it's it's important I wanted to ask you about it um, empathy, authenticity, impact, unity, radical inclusion. And I love that. And I think that last one, radical inclusion, you hear everybody talk about diversity, uh, but but not always is the word inclusion there with it. W- why is that? And, and what does that really mean, that radical inclusion?
1: Sure, I think there's two words I wanna pull out from there. One is equity, because I don't know. Yep. You can't have the equity piece without the inclusion piece. And you can't have the inclusion piece without the equity piece. Like they play together. And there are the words that people are most comfortable with because those words and those processes mean inconvenience and discomfort. And I, I very much so feel like that is why folks don't want to add those pieces into it, right? Because here's what that looks like. Here's the differences. If I say, you know what? I just am going to have a diverse candidate pool. Okay, great. So you have folks, however you all have defined diversity and often what we find is that organizations have not even defined what diversity is. And so we're just going to have a bunch of people come on board and and apply for the job, but continuously the decisions being made that those folks are not actually coming through and making it into the workplace, or if they are, once they get there, They're very uncomfortable and they're leaving quickly. So what what are we really talking about? We're talking about talent talent acquisition. We're talking about the hiring processes. We're talking about job description. We're talking about management. We're talking about employee retention. All of those are pieces of this, but we don't often think about all of the ways that these play a role within organizations. And so that's why it, it is so important for us to really define and use the words that are, Uh, that talk about impact and less about kind of this idealistic piece of it. Here is where the impact happens. And so when we talk about radical inclusion, it is when people get to your organization, what is their journey in your organization? And are you really looking at this on a regular basis? And that this journey is not only to be set by HR. That's a big one. And that HR, in my opinion, should not be the only piece of the organization that is owning this process diversity, equity, inclusion, anti racism. They should not be the only ones really making sure that this is happening. This is part of a strong core, the core values of an organization. It also speaks to the core competencies of leadership. And it also very much so is about your business processes. In your business operations, which which I know that we'll talk about this because as as we look at vendors and that sort of thing, this is what we're talking about, aren't we? We're talking about business processes and operations, and so really wanting organizations to expand their definitions of this work.
0: Yeah, you really you put it on a tee for me there, Kim. I was you know saying that it's important to look in all areas of the organization, not just HR, and so to kind of to lean in on that uh, concept. You know, our business. Uh, at Conductive is to help purchase services suppliers and health systems across the country find each other, right? And and oftentimes services suppliers are small businesses and and local businesses. And so, you know, just some statistics around that in this country, 30.2 million small businesses, 12.3 million of those are owned by women. 47% of those are owned by women of color, and overall, Minority Zone, 45% of all small businesses in the U.S. So it's certainly an area uh, of opportunity for our health systems to work with diverse suppliers. Many of right. our customers want to know, you know, how do, they, how do they start? How do they bring equity into their buying process? And so what would you say to that? Like, what, what would you recommend?
1: Yeah, and I want to do one more thing to add another stat. And what I would like to do is have that stat. We can talk about this. We can provide this for you, but put this in in the notes around with the stats that you called out next to that. Then when we look at the financial gain and wealth of those businesses up against the other groups of folks, who are part of the majority, how big that gap is. Because I think we really have to talk about that part because even though that's how many businesses are held by, uh, by those groups who have been historically marginalized, they don't always have a long lifespan, but they don't always also have the same financial equity as other organizations and i think that's a really important piece of this and i'm going to tie this into how do companies start to think about as they are are looking for more diversity in their vendors how do they start diversifying and really making sure that they are being equitable in this process so one of the first big thing is to slow down your process of which you are acquiring a new vendor Because what happens is, is that companies set these deadlines, but the deadlines are not based on the process of finding finding the proper group. And so if that's the case, then there's this speed through, because what do you do? You call the folks that you already know, you get the recommendations that you always get, and then it stays in this tight circle around who gets to benefit from having a partnership. Also... It is considering that during the this process of choosing, let's say you find a, a a business that is owned by someone who is of a protected class, particularly someone who is historically marginalized, and then they say, "Hey, we can take this on, but here's the piece we can take on, and the other piece we cannot." So. Why not make sure, you know, make sure that you are then engaging them at that level instead of saying, well, we need somebody to do all of it, right? How do you then bring them into the conversation in a way that makes sense uh, for their business? Because if we go back to what I'm talking about, uh, Mickey, those numbers that we, you know, those numbers you mentioned, but also when we get that, that the numbers around uh, finances, the question is, is do their finances match in how many folks they're able to actually employ on their manpower? Right. On. um, And so if you think about that in order to be equitable, then it is your job to meet them where they are, not the other way around.
0: Absolutely. No, that's such a good point. And we often talk about not negotiating a supplier out of business Right. Um, you know, especially a smaller local supplier out of business uh, as you're beginning to work with them, because that's that's the last thing you want. You want a partner who you can help grow and have a mutually beneficial partnership for, for your organization and for the community, um, as well as their organization. And so, um, you know, that, I think that's such a good point.
1: Right. And also really thinking about what is the expertise that this group brings that is different then a group who may not have access to the same type of um, execution in the way that they think or innovate or approach a certain area. What is the benefit of having someone who already has a lens of uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and anti-racism as part of their business, as opposed to a company who may not have that in place? And so, does that mean that you are also paying them for? something different if their prices are maybe more expensive right are yeah. you paying then for the benefit of them having those core competencies in place for them to understand for instance like if we were talking about um using a vendor for instance around uh you know a- an external marketing for instance you know something like that or uh having someone who can really understand an audience in particular. And realizing that those are subject matter experts. Those, I mean, those are folks who have a particular expertise in a subject, but then not being willing to pay them for that. And we see that in the workplace as well. But I wanna bring to mind that when we look at vendors as well, because oftentimes we don't think about that piece as being a skill set. We think about it as, oh, we just need to hire someone who is you know, who is a minority business owner, and I only use minority in that way. I don't love that word. I only use it in that way because that is the certification name, but right. a minority business owner. Um, and we're, we're, so it's enough for us to just use them, but we won't necessarily pay them if we need them to do specialized work. And so really thinking about all of the ways that this plays a role in equity, the equity piece of, piece of this um, around who you work with, or subcontractors and vendors, and how you work with subcontractors and vendors. Yeah. And, and so you mentioned
0: the slowing down the, the process piece of it, and, and often RFPs are, a, are the you know, main vehicle for that process when it comes to selecting a supplier. H- how does a health system, or any company for that matter, make RFPs equitable and inclusive? How do they make sure they, they do that?
1: Yeah, you know, RFPs are, so for one, I'm not a big fan of RFPs. I'll just put that out there because of the one, the amount of time that they take, especially when you talk about the impact of a business owner who, again, may not have 20 people in the office who can work on this individual piece and still keep their current clients in place and still do sales calls, XYZ, all of those things. And so it's really important for companies to make this process, this process as easy as possible. If you feel like RFPs have to happen, make them a bridge instead of a barrier. Yep. And so pull away what really has to be known at this time. Put a time limit on how much time, because that's free labor. Let's be really honest about this. An RFP is free labor. Because what happens is, is a lot of times, you know, sometimes companies even start off with an RFI, it's not even RFP, (laughs) where they're just trying to gain information. And then they take the best of whatever you offered and mix it back in there and come up with an RFP and then spit it back out. And now another company can build on your brilliance. And so really thinking about what is the, the impact of the way that we are doing RFPs and the time that we're asking of folks to put into this project. And to be honest, at this stage, do we really need to know all of this? Really? Or what what is most important? What are we trying to find out until we really hone down on maybe those two or three organizations that we feel like are the right fit for us? Then maybe we expand the project a bit more where we talk about the presentation side of this, but making that the starting point is extremely challenging Um, For organizations, it can take months uh, of of work hours, even though they're cramming it into a smaller time period, to really do what some of these RFPs are asking folks to do. It can be very taxing. And so again, it is when we talk about slowing down of the process, It is maybe it is intentional where you invite companies first to say, hey, we've seen some of the stuff that you've done. If you are interested, we'd love to talk to you further. And then maybe having initial phone calls first before getting 50 different companies to come in and, you know, say, hey, we want to we respond to this RFP. Why don't you be a little more choosy up front and maybe hone that down to about 10 organizations? And then after those calls, can you move that down to five? And then, you know, after that first round, then can you get it to three? And that's where you add in a little more of the, the, the presentation and the project piece of that instead of making it this big giant lift right up front when folks don't even know if they have a real chance of winning that award.
0: Totally agree. And, that's, and I think that's one of the things that we focus on as a company is, how do we make this process, this RFP, a better vehicle uh, for a supplier to showcase their total value to a, uh, to a customer um, you know, in a meaningful way, in a quick way, and in a way that's uh, where the, the customer is already mostly educated on what that supplier can provide. And so, um, you know, that's one of the things that we're really focused on as an organization is to make that process easier. And, and also, I think importantly, uh, more transparent as well.
1: Yes, more transparent and also more honesty about what the organization is looking for instead of kind of making it a stab in the dark. Sometimes I, I have felt when I see our RFPs, You're like, well, what do they really want? But some of that is because the organization has not had any face time with that company to help get a sense of who they are, what they really need. And so I just think really being intentional and humanizing that process, really, that's what I'm talking about is humanizing that process a bit more and thinking about it from all sides uh, can really help benefit your journey to wanting to be more inclusive in who you have as vendors
0: absolutely that's that's such a good point. and um hopefully we have time for one more question I wanted to ask you about and, and kind of get your perspective on. Um, so you know like in in the NFL you know uh there's the Rooney rule where you know they they mandate diverse candidates in the hiring process, and California recently came out with a, a new uh with new legislation to uh, ensure that uh, at least one women woman is serving on a on a corporate board. Do you think that other legislation is needed to, to jumpstart uh, diverse hiring and, in, in our case, diverse buying? Would that help to speed up the things that you're working on?
1: Yeah. You know, it's so interesting when companies define things like that around that law, in particular in California, the challenge with that law is when we talk about, and I'm, I'm going somewhere and I'm going to come back, is we talk about affirmative action and who benefits the most. It's white women but people don't have that perspective. People assume, right, that it is people of color, black indigenous and people of color who are benefiting from affirmative action. Here's where I'm going with this. So when you have a law in California that says one woman, then it still leaves a a lot of room for interpretation there. And then we still see the same group of women benefiting. And actually, one woman is, that's really poor. I mean, like, if we're talking about, why aren't we doing this in percentages instead? Yep. That thirty percent of your leadership has to be XYZ. So why aren't people doing that with their vendors? Having percentages around, if you're going to engage in a vendor, not just percentage of business, but percentage in, in dollars, X amount of our dollars, are spent with minority business owners, period. And when we say minority business owners, here's what we mean. Because again, if we're talking about minority business owners, that could very much end up being a group of white women. Listen, I have nothing, you know, I, I have, I'm not saying anything of negative about white women. I'm saying that we are not honest enough all the time about pulling, pulling back that veil. And thinking about when we use these terms like diverse, really identifying what that actually means and who actually benefits. And so as you are working with vendors and thinking about this, what are your percentages? But what is what are those percentages actually mean? And in that, are you still letting them, you know, having the minority benefit from what you are calling diversity, for what you are calling inclusive um, inclusive? vendor you know vendor choices and that sort of thing to make sure that it really makes sense because on paper you can do this and it has this kind of um, glorified language to it but then when you pull back the curtain you go oh this isn't quite what I thought the impact was going to be and it's also again important Mickey for folks to understand those numbers that you talked about But not just those numbers in the context of which you talked about them, because we talked about a piece of that, but really talking about the the financial, the wealth gap, the equity piece of that, talking about that, talking about the impact of what that means for those workforces and how uh, them being, you know, how many hours they're able to dedicate in that sort of thing to paint the whole story. So, that you are not making decisions out of pieces of it. And also, the last piece I'll say is to make sure that those folks who are choosing the vendors and who are uh, giving, you know, who are granting those awards and granting those contracts, that they themselves in that space, in those rooms, are inclusive and diverse and understand equity. Because you can do all of that work. And then have the decision makers not understand how to carry this out, and it's just as damaging, if not more
0: Absolutely. such a good point. Well, Kim, I appreciate the time today. It's been such an awesome conversation to have you with us. and Kim Crowder can be reached at kimcrowderconsulting.com. Um, thanks again, Kim. This has been great.
1: Absolutely. We'd love folks to sign up for our newsletter. Uh, my team and I work really hard to produce a great newsletter. You can sign up for that on the website and also find us, but you can find me certainly on LinkedIn, Kim Crowder on Instagram. I am Kim Crowder. And we even there do a bit of this dialoguing and conversation because we want to move this forward. Uh, But then also, if you ever have questions, feel free to reach out. We're always happy to, to make a connection.
0: That's awesome. Well, thank you, Kim. I appreciate it. Well, uh, I know it's, we went a little over time there, but I mean, it's such a good conversation and it's like, I mean, it's just something that we're working on through our software to your point, like trying to point out for these hospitals, like what percentage of your spend um, is with a certified supplier, you know, and even breakdowns into those certifications and things like that. So we'd love to to stay in touch as we go forward, even um, just to pick your brain every now and again, if you're good with that.
1: Sure. I, that's, that's a part of what my team and I do. Um, that's part of our services, so we'd love to.
0: Thank you for joining us today for Procure Pulse, the podcast for managed service leaders. It has been a pleasure to share with all of you. Reach out to us if you have any questions or ideas or best practices that you'd like to share. I'm Mickey, me, and your host. Thank you for tuning in. We will see you next time. Have a great day.